0: Lauren Wearsby famously wrote, Those times when you feel like quitting can be times of great opportunity, for God uses your troubles to help you grow. That is so true, but the reality is we don't like to suffer. On today's podcast, we're going to be diving into the necessity that suffering has in our lives and how we can trust God in the midst of it. So turn to 1 Thessalonians 2 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So blessed and honored that you guys are joining me today as we focus in on God's Word. That is the purpose of this podcast, to help you stand strong in God's Word, to give you the knowledge, give you the tools, give you the resources, and help you appreciate and gain more uh, intimacy uh, for God's Word as you spend not just this time with me, but that I, it builds a hunger and a thirst for you guys to explore God's word, word in context. Go through the books of the Bible. Right now, I'm going through a chronological reading with my family in Scripture. And there are times, let's be honest, it gets a little boring because we are going through Leviticus and some of the stuff doesn't really make sense. And you got to pause and, you know, sometimes scratching my head and thinking, what is going on here? What is the meaning of this? or you go through a list of genealogies, right? And it's just kind of boring, but that's God's inspired word. And so there is truth, obviously, that is being spoken there. And sometimes it takes uh, time for us to consider the passage, to study it more fervently, and not to give up, not to give up. And so I I want this to be a time where as we Dive into God's Word verse by verse. And, and as you guys know, this podcast, we're teaching the books of the Bible in chronological order. And we started with the Gospels, okay? And we've worked our way all the way to 1 Thessalonians here now. And we're starting chapter 2 today. And I hope that as we explore God's Word together, that you become a teacher of God's Word. That you take what you learn here. You can go to StandStrongMinistries.org, click on Podcasts, click on any of those books that we've taught through. Take our notes and use them. Share this podcast. Use what's available for you guys so that you guys can start investing in other people around you. So if you have been spending some time diving into some of these episodes and you've never taught a Bible study, I'm encouraging you guys first pray and maybe talk to one or two people that you can trust and say, hey, I really have maybe a, a calling, it like a desire to start teaching God's Word. You know, maybe one or two people. Maybe five, who knows? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and this podcast has helped you grow in your faith and stand strong in God's word and you want to bless other people with what you've learned here. Man, that's awesome, you guys. That is what it is all about. So I just pray that you guys would consider that. So with that being said, we are now focusing in on a passage of scripture where I've titled the series for this chapter. So we'll be covering this for the next few episodes how to conduct yourself in ministry. Now, obviously, if you're a pastor, full-time, a missionary, Christian writer, you run a Christian organization, you work for a Christian organization, yes, this is going to be very important for you guys uh, you know, to, to examine, to study, and to put into practice some of the things that we learn from Paul here. But that's not only, this passage here, 1 Thessalonians 2, is not just solely or only for people in full-time ministry. This is for all of us. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that you will take the time as we go through this chapter together, that you look at the ministry that God has put in your life. And we know that the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the labors are few. So all of us, there's so much more ministry we can tap into, but oftentimes due to Busyness, which a lot of times is an excuse, being tired, being bored, being apathetic, whatever the case may be, being nervous, just plain ignorant of what our spiritual gifts are and the calling to do the great commission and make disciples, whatever the case may be, or take some of those excuses and you know, and it makes up the reasons why you're not investing in the life of people. Whatever it is for you, we know all of us, myself included right So no matter what region you're in, what language you speak uh, fluently, you know how long you've been a Christian, we are called to make disciples. We are called to be ministers of the gospel. So we as Christians are to conduct ourselves a certain way. So think of the harvest that you have that the Lord has placed you in and the spiritual gifts that he's given you and how are you to conduct yourself? as I was just jumping on to record this, episode in, in the studio, I was reading an article that was published on Christianity Today. And they were actually reporting that two of their primary leaders, editors, people, you know, high up there, for years had been sexually assaulting women. And they had reported it on numerous occasions and nothing ever happened to these two individuals. One of them, I remember coming out and he was retiring leaving and it was kind of weird that he was leaving the way he was and there was really no plans what he was going to do after he left and he wasn't like like retirement age yet the other figure i have no clue who he was and whatever happened to him but the sad reality is these guys who are professing to be christians who are in this prominent position running this prominent ministry propagating the gospel right That they are actually, instead of leading people in humility and grace as Jesus did, they were taking advantage of people, assaulting people. And so we're just disgusted by this stuff. And it seems like we hear another sad story like this. And so I I hope and pray that this time that we spend together, because I can certainly say this, you guys, having gone through and studied this passage for well over a month, okay, verse by verse. And there's so much there. And of course, when it comes to my notes, I kind of abbreviate it uh, to limit this time that we have on the podcast. But as I was combing through and studying this, even spent some time talking to some of my pastor friends over this passage, you know, one of the things that really hit me hard was the amount of not just diligence, but the amount of humility that Paul exemplified and it, it was very, very convicting and refreshing for me, especially as I shared it with one of my dear friends who's in full-time ministry as well, and saying, you know, Paul, and we'll see this, and I don't want to jump ahead here, but I, I got to just tell you guys this. It's amazing because here Paul uses three familial illustrations of an infant child, of a mother and a father. And he uses each one to speak to the kind of ministry that God had called him to. And as I take apart each one and say, do I come in humility like an infant child? Do I teach and care and nurture the people that God has called me to lead in the ministry like a mother does a child? Do I exhort and lead um, as a father who protects and guides his family to the people that God has called me to shepherd? So guys, as I've learned Once again, how to be like Jesus and how to conduct myself in ministry. I hope and pray that this will be an enriching time for you. And if you are struggling in what kind of ministry you should have, you know, let's pray together. Send me an email, info at standstrongministries.org. And maybe we can talk about it or ways we can pray or give you some advice. So let's dive now into the first two verses of chapter two. We're only going to be covering two verses and the primary thing here is how we can suffer for Christ. Now, just to bring up to speed, after offering thanksgiving for the ministry to the Thessalonians, Paul now spends half of his letter defending his conduct and ministry. And he does this by exhorting the Thessalonians to grow in their faith. And one thing I appreciate, there's so much, obviously, Paul, the apostle who is inspired by the Holy Spirit, everything is so amazing when you take it, you know, piece by piece. But what I appreciate uh, specifically in this passage is that Paul does not avoid the issue. And what he's going to do here is he's going to, he's not introducing the Thessalonians to suffering. He points to it. He recognizes it. It's a part of life. And he himself is not immune to it. And so he's going to use himself as an example of someone who is going through suffering but the key thing here is how you deal with it. So let's learn from Paul here. He Notice he says here in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Literally it means, because it's the Greek word kenos, it, it literally means it was not insincere. It, w- it wasn't lacking in results. I, I didn't come, Paul says, empty-handed or void of content. So there was a purpose for Paul to come into their lives to minister to them. And it was not, there was no insincere motive that he had. And then he says here in verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness. That literally means we had courage in the face of danger. We spoke out boldly in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. All right, so let's unpack these two verses. So here Paul stirs up the Thessalonians, his memory that is. He stirs up their memory by reminding them of his motives of why he came to them in the first place. And what is so important is that he came with good intentions. Now this is so important, my friends, because, and I just noticed recently on Netflix, there is a lot of documentaries about swindlers, about people who concocted a story. They presented a certain profile about their life, and they're a con artist. And, of course, the whole storyline here is how women, who it doesn't matter, business partners, they fell for the scam. And it not only messed them up personally, emotionally, but financially, a lot of them get, were ruined as a result of it. And that right there, you guys, is, is an example of somebody who comes to you and it seems like they come to you with good intentions. When their motive in befriending you is to take advantage of you at some point. And I, I'll tell you guys right up front here on the podcast that I've had people who have tried... And in some cases were successful in conning me now, not for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything like that, but I've certainly, have had people in the ministry who have befriended me for different intentions, for different reasons. And so all of us have to be careful. And so Paul, he's reminding the Thessalonians because from the point in which he came into the city in the Macedonian area, and was modeling and preaching and defending the gospel of Jesus Christ, his intentions there was right on. And as he's writing this letter now from Corinth, his intentions are right on. They haven't changed. So this word, no, he's saying for you yourselves, no. So here's, this is so important. And if you are in full-time ministry, I challenge you listening right now, that if you're in full-time ministry, primarily, let's say you are a a lead pastor, you're the teaching pastor at a church. Let me ask you this: Do the congregate? Does your congregation? Do the people in your church know? Do they have? In this in this sense, the Greek word is to have knowledge, to be acquainted with facts. Do they know? Do they have facts to back this up? That your intentions of how you lead them and what you're doing in ministry is of the utmost respect. That your intentions are good. See, Paul, he wasn't trying to convince the Thessalonians to believe that he was someone that they could trust. He says, you guys already know that I am. And that's the challenge before all of us right now. Do people know that about you? Do people know that your intentions for them, that your motives that you have in their relationship are good, that they're well-intentioned? Now, this isn't like... Well-intentioned and meaning like I was meaning to tell you the truth, but it was just so difficult to speak the truth, so I just told lies. Or I was meaning to pay you back, meaning I was well-intentioned, but I just never got around to it because I forgot or whatever. I had to pay these other bills. You know, other pressing matters. No, that's not how Paul's approaching it, and that's not how we're to approach people in our lives. The Thessalonians knew that Paul was a man of integrity. Paul was simply reminding the Thessalonians of all the times that he gave of himself to them. So that's what I want you guys to think about as I've been reflecting my own life is how am I giving of myself to people? Now again, if you have 100 needs coming in and you, again, we all have our limits, right? We're all working off the same 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But if you have, you know, let's say five kids and you have five needs from five different kids and you're married, well, I have four kids, you know, and a a wife. So there's six of us in the Jimenez family. So let's say there's seven in your family or there's 10 in your family, or maybe there's only two. So obviously there's going to be certain needs that you, you have to meet and there's certain needs that I have to meet. But the reality is, okay, we can't meet all the needs. Now we have to prioritize, let's say out of the hundred needs that may hit you up uh, in a weekly basis, you prioritize what those needs are. But the sad thing is that a lot of Christians don't prioritize for, for you know to help other people because they we're so fixated, not just looking down on our phone, but we're so fixated about our own lives and, and, and people meeting our needs. And so Paul, what he's doing here, is he's reminding them that, hey, I've met your needs, that I've been there for you guys, that I've given of myself. And so now as he's telling him here, verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated, he then says, not only do you guys know that I've been well-intentioned, but you guys have also seen me endure hardship. And hopefully you've seen that I've been faithful through it. Now, this Greek word about being shamefully treated it literally means to be insulted, to be abused, to be looked down upon. So they they witnessed Paul being shamed by the public officials, by the Judaizers, by the, Jew, the Jews, the ruling class in those cities. They saw their apostle, their pastor, be humiliated. They saw him being insulted. They saw the apostle Paul being abused. What about you? Have you ever seen somebody go through a hardship like that? They were shamefully uh, treated, that they were mistreated because they were a Christian, or even if they were accused of something and they were insulted and they took it. Now, this isn't saying like in a cowardly way where you just um, let somebody walk all over you. That's not what he's implying here. He says, you had already, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, so one, you know, Paul says that I've been there for you, that I've had your back. I've never taken you for granted Two, you also know that we faced a lot of hardship, but we had boldly, literally we, we faced the danger. We spoke boldly in our God. You guys know that we've done that. So when you go through suffering, the question is, what kind of person are you? How do you respond to levels of insult to the degree in which somebody betrays your trust or suddenly uh, you lose a loved one or you're being denied something or something shuts down or inflation hits, you lose your job? Economy's bad. How do you respond in the midst of those trying times? How do you respond to someone who is name-calling you, ridiculing you? Recently, I got a nasty email for from a. a I would obviously, clearly, don't say it, admire, but somebody who's been following my ministry and likes to try to pick apart my arguments by making fun of me, by putting me down personally. Now, of course, we can say philosophically you know, when you look in the realm of philosophy, you look at certain fallacies. And one of the common ones is known as an ad hominem, and just where you just, you know, attack the person rather than deal with the argument logically, and, um, you know, in some cases, theoretically. And, you know, it's sometimes sadly, it's a typical response from people who oppose your worldview, and I get that. But it's it's hard sometimes when when you see how vicious some people can be, and you want to give them peace, a piece of your own mind. But you but I'm like, you know what? What good is that gonna do? It's not the Christian way. I need to conduct myself. Part of the apologetic, right, is the way in which we respond, how we we speak to people, and we we are told to speak the truth in love. So when you when you see the Holy Spirit moving in Paul's life and also Silas and they go to Macedonia, and this is important, this is in this is we you find this in Acts chapter sixteen. Do you remember what happened to Paul and Silas? They were beaten. They were imprisoned at Philippi. Let me read you guys this passage in Acts sixteen, verses nineteen through twenty-four. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments of them gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner in, in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so that gives us a little bit of a background. So when Paul says, you guys know how we were shamefully treated. So they saw how Paul coming to them was mistreating Philippi, and then he and then he, they see how he was driven out of the city when he was clearly trying to minister to them. It was not causing an uproar, or he was not causing a scene or a riot. He was not somebody who was, you know, you know, causing division within the community. He was sharing the gospel. So this Greek word, let me go back to it. It's hybristentius. It, it's it's also used this term shamefully treated. It's also used to, uh, to describe an internal battle that's caused by emotional anguish and spiritual attacks. So this is what's fascinating, you guys, because the limited time that Paul had with the Thessalonians, he spent time teaching them how to endure suffering, how to learn from your suffering. And it's such a deep term that he uses that it it, it, it explores emotional anguish that people go through when they are suffering, uh, when they are betrayed. You, you, we all know the feeling of being betrayed. It's not a great feeling. We know the feeling of being sabotaged. We, we know the feeling, sadly, of when people have lied to us and that feeling when you find out that they were lying to you. They weren't telling you the truth. It's not a good feeling. Or when you lose a loved one and you're in that deep-seated emotion, that, emo- that emotional state uh, of depression, of grief, and nothing seems to comfort you. Matter of fact, a lot of things seem to annoy you. and some cases, can drive people mad, can drive people insane. Some people, after several uh you know levels of, of grief, no matter if it's losing a job and then they lose this and they lose a loved one or there's betrayal, somebody cheated on them. I mean, stuff adds up. Or they just were in an emotional, psychological state even before something tragic hits and they just couldn't cope with it. And in some cases, tragically, sadly, they take their own life this is the degree and we oftentimes miss this. We just focus on the persecution aspect but that's not what the Greek is implying here. So yes, it's persecution. Yes, it's suffering on the hands of preaching the gospel but it's also dealing with conflict and it's also dealing with emotional anguish and spiritual attacks. So when Paul says, you guys know, it's not just they know the facts of him being persecuted and going through trying times. It's, how he coped with it, how he suffered for Christ, what he endured, what he went through on, a, on an emotional, personal level. See, Paul, no doubt, we know, faced intense opposition. We know that there are many times, whether it be with Barnabas or in this case here with Silas in Acts 16, he was publicly shamed and humiliated by the Jews. And we know that they considered Paul a disgrace because he abandoned his role as a Pharisee and he was off teaching the gospel that didn't go uh, along with their formalities. And so this word conflict that he uses here in verse two, it's the word agonai, which we of course get the word agony from. It's a term that describes the strenuous contest of activity from an athlete. So on one hand, you have people causing problems in your life, and you just have the loss of things. You're being persecuted because of your faith, and there is suffering, and there's also conflict. And sometimes they can get mirrored. They get blended where you you don't you can't tell the difference. Both of them are trials, my friends. But yet, despite the severe agony and the constant personal attacks, Paul pressed forward. He faithfully preached the gospel. He didn't abandon give up on the Thessalonians. He used these unexpected circumstances. Now, that does not mean that Paul was believing he wasn't going to be persecuted and face conflict. He knew it was going to come. He just didn't know from whom, necessarily, and to what degree. But he knew it was going to come. The expository's Bible commentary of the New Testament writes, quote, in Philippi, Paul and Silas had been beaten and severely flogged. So let's just pause here and think. How have I been persecuted for my faith? Now, I realize in this podcast, we have people listening all over the world. So persecution will look differently, more severe in a lot of the world. I'm here recording in the United States of America. Blessed to be an American. Blessed to have the freedoms that I have. And sadly, I'm surrounded by a lot of people, myself included, at times, where you take for granted, or you have, you appreciate your freedoms, but you have no understanding or realization of what it actually means until you go to uh, another part of the world and realize how bad it is for Christians. They, they, don't, they can't even own a Bible because it's banned. They can't even access a Bible because the government has restricted them. Or they could be arrested or beaten or humiliated or even killed because they know Christ is the Lord and Savior. So here Paul and Silas, they're beaten and severely flogged and they did nothing. They had been put in prison with their feet in stocks. Think about that. And cruelly mistreated because they had rescued a slave girl in the name of Jesus. They had also been insulted by being arrested unjustly, stripped of their clothes. Talk about humiliation. And treated like dangerous fugitives. Their Roman citizenship had been violated. And for this, Paul demanded restitution. Still staggering from these injuries and indignities, the two came to Thessalonica. Under such conditions, most people would have refrained from repeating a message that had led to such violent treatment, but not these men. With God's help, they mustered sufficient courage to declare in this new city their gospel from God. Here in Thessalonica, they again encountered strong opposition, a word that pictures an athlete's struggle to gain first place in a race or contest. Paul's conflict came from outward persecutions and dangers originated by his Jewish opponents. While Luke does not mention such opposition in Thessalonica, that's according to Acts 17 verses 1 through 10, it is clear from this letter that such did come. In spite of it, however, Paul's inner help from God produced a continuing proclamation of the gospel, end quote. So my friends, as Paul conveys to the Thessalonians that, hey, I've come to you guys with genuine intent to help you to be there for you and been a model of someone who has faced severe mistreatment. I've been opposed. I've been um, restricted. I've been retained. I've been beaten. I've been stripped naked. I've been shackled up. I've been publicly humiliated, but I've not abandoned Christ, nor have I abandoned you. Matter of fact, in the midst of the suffering that Paul went through, And this is true for every Christian. Please hear me. In the midst of the suffering, you grow stronger. So no matter the loss that you're going through, no matter the conflict you're facing right now, God will give you the strength, a supernatural strength, my friends, to overcome your physical circumstances. And so when you do suffer, I think it's very important for us not to overlook how we can talk about some of the pain some of the emotional anguish and, and and talk through with the right people the conflict, the agony that we experience at times. So just like an athlete, you guys, who fights to get first place, you got to push through this and not give up. In recent months, ministry for me has not been the easiest and I'm not looking to, you know, be on cruise control in ministry. That has actually not been the case as I've gotten older. You learn a thing or two, been around the block a couple times, so you can use that experience and knowledge and some of the expertise, right, to avoid some of the the headaches um, that you caused yourself when you were younger. But the older I get, the more I encounter people and proclaim the gospel, the more difficult it's becoming in a post-Christian era. You know, I used to go into a certain area in the country, for example, and teach. And for the most part, you get people who shake your hand, you sign some books, and they ask some good questions, and you're off to the next. But in the last several years, I can't remember a time where I walked into a church and did not get somebody who attacked me for me teaching that homosexuality is a sin um, or teaching that the Bible is infallible word of God or of course as a Christian I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day and a lot of times you got people you guys who are sitting there in the church matter of fact recently I was in a venue and it was brought to my attention that a lot of the attendees were people who were of a different faith Uh, they were agnostic they were atheists now, the vast majority of confessed that, that their intent was to sabotage rather than learn. And so that becomes more difficult, the opposition that is. It grows stronger. But you know what? The stronger the opposition is, the stronger our faith in Christ will be. And so even though it's difficult, my friends, be reminded of what I said in the opening of this podcast when Warren Wearsby said, those times when you feel like quitting— can be times of great opportunity so think of the opportunities that you can have as you suffer for christ because warren wearsby said this for god uses your troubles to help you grow and i pray that is true for you so thank you guys for listening until next time keep standing strong my friends